Hello, everyone. This is Magnanimous Mike with uh, my fellow teaching colleague. Uh, hi, it's me, Neanderthal Nathan, a yeah, nickname first... I'm increasingly regretting giving myself. Um, and we're here to talk about the death penalty, affirmative and negative. I actually think you know, Nate the Great would be good, but Neanderthal Nate might be appropriate for this topic because um, the death penalty is um, only employed by countries and societies that are barbaric and Neanderthal-ish, in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm here representing the Neg, so I think it actually works. Um, I, I had a psychic moment when I selected that name. Um, yeah. But, so yeah. this is our, our first podcast. Uh, we might try and do this again just as a quick tip on maybe how to use it. It is a really cool opportunity to turn off your visual screen and maybe just listen. Um, but if you are interested, you can follow along with us with the AFNAG death penalty file and, and can scroll around and keep us in the background as we talk about it. Uh, the death penalty AF, I think, is a really good one on this year's topic. A number of camps have put it out. So you can you can guarantee that these debates will happen during the year. And I think it's popular because it's just one of those parts of the criminal justice system that is particularly indefensible, in my opinion. Like it is arbitrary, it is racist, it is barbaric, and the U.S. really is alone in the world as far as democracies go um, in employing it. So while the AF side bias on this year's topic is pretty overwhelming regardless of what app you choose. I think on, uh, you know, generally the lit base and the quality of scholarship on saying why the death penalty just is not, serves no function, you'll, you'll be pretty good. But again, we're talking life and death and state control over that death. So the K cards are there, the policy cards are there, and it is the most profound way that, you know, sentencing and punishment uh, can happen within the criminal justice system. Yeah, this area I think really stands out because it is, I think, closer to a an academic consensus than a lot of the other affirmatives on the topic. Even the other, like particularly pro, like progressive, sort of like racially forward criminal justice reforms, are oftentimes at least institutionally obscure enough that there's a great deal of controversy about sort of process or procedure or how they all might be done. But it's there are very few of them that have as much of a support for just a clean abolition as the death penalty does, which I think is interesting because even in other areas that are particularly salient, like you know what to do about police brutality or how to manage mass incarceration, the diversity of proposals is just far greater than with the death penalty, where most people either think it's an unequivocal good or it must be removed wholesale with very little in between, which is an interesting sort of like stratification in the academic literature on the subject that distinguishes it from a lot of the other affirmatives on the topic. And I think actually invites some like pretty interesting strategic dimensions to how these debates are gonna happen. Right, I mean, all the plan texts are largely just gonna be abolished the death penalty, not all these tricky mechanisms for how to reform it. Um, and that's a good ground to stand on. Uh, so that, yeah, given that simplicity, we want to break down the AF for you a little bit and what's in the file and what's in the neg. Yay! 
you know, looking at the file and you don't have to, cause we're not gonna break down individual cards or anything, but uh, you know, the death penalty has been uh, in decline uh, over, over time, over the last couple of decades in the United States. So there is somewhat a need for inherency, um, but states still have it on the books and the federal government still has it um, as an option for punishment. And the inherency contention is really just speaking to that, that despite public opinion moving further and further away from supporting the death penalty, uh, it is still being used. And under the Trump administration directing the Department of Justice, uh, he has said with Attorney General William Barr that we'd like to streamline and clear the way for more federal government uh, use of capital punishment. And so executions will start to take place uh, more frequently and yeah, you should still be able to win inherency. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first advantage is about the sort of racial misapplication of the death penalty. So one of the really profound issues with capital punishment is that it is racially misapplied in a bunch of different ways. So the first and most obvious is that you have the sort of standard set of structural factors that predispose black and brown people to increased policing, like heightened police presence, discrimination, profiling. Um, and all of those things mean that it just disproportionately affects those people. Um, the other half that is, I think, more particular to capital punishment is that in many circumstances, juries that are frequently almost mm -hmm. all white choose to sort of give capital punishment in a particularly unequal or imbalanced fashion. Yeah, I mean, the statistics are overwhelming. I mean, some of the cards in the 1AC, there's different ways to quantify it. But if you're Black, you're four times more likely to be sentenced to death. Death row inmates, you know, almost half are, um, are Black people. And despite making up, obviously, a much smaller percentage of the population, they are overrepresented. And it gets particularly disgusting when, uh, as kind of Nate pointed out in the the jury portion of it, if you're black, you're more likely to get the death penalty. But when uh, people are convicted of killing white victims, um, black people are convicted of white victims, 17 times more likely to be executed than if they had killed black victims. So it's both this wow. racist criminalizing of black defendants, but also devaluation of black victims, all animated through execution, state-sponsored death. And like I said, the statistics are overwhelming, but you should be able to speak pretty uh, passionately and persuasively about the historical connections to the death penalty as well. Mass lynchings that happened in the South, when that kind of mob KKK justice was really, or injustice was really um, stamped out, the, the South, Southern states really started to use the death penalty as a fill-in for that kind of lynchings. And the, the evidence kind of says you can't separate that history that the death penalty really is still uh, white supremacy trying to um, fulfill its goal of, of black death. And so the racism advantage is just really, really strong. So the, the second advantage is about dignity. And this advantage I think is particularly interesting because it invites like a, a slightly wider set of like sort of interesting like moral questions to sort of chew on about 
what the scope of like societal retribution ought to be so like Mm -hmm. what is the appropriate response society ought to have to people that do violent crimes or people that are you know like the the, everyone has an image in their head of someone who like deserves the death penalty which is oftentimes the hang up people have when they think about abolishing it and And, people who who want to really defend the death penalty on the neg might start with some of those cross-ex questions like nate's reading the one ac and i might say so like we capture Hitler, we capture, um, you know, some horrible dictator who commits mass genocide, shouldn't they get the death penalty? Or, you know, a serial killer or someone who does a mass shooting that kills 50 people, like they'll describe the worst uh, incarnation of evil and then say, shouldn't they deserve to die? And that's, I mean, that's, that's a powerful question. That's what the second advantage is to try and respond to. And so the the sort of thesis of it is that we ought to, in the justice system, we need some basis of human dignity. So we have laws that prohibit torture. We have laws that prohibit cruel and unusual punishment. And the basis is that even though it's frequently fails and is not, you know, like in many cases true, the law ought aspire to provide or at least mirror the like optimal moral structure of a society, which is why we ban things we consider to be immoral. Um, And on that basis, human dignity is sort of an essential tenet of that because the way that we, you know, conceptualize rights and the ability for people to like be agents in a society is very much imbricated in the idea that people ought to reserve some basic privileges and recognition in any circumstances and that the death penalty is particularly a violation of those things partially because the state ought not execute people just as a rule the state should not kill people they should serve time in prison they should receive other punishments it's just such a uh, contradictory and paradoxical statement or set of logic to be like the state should kill people to show that killing is wrong, right? or it's like murder is horrible. So let us control how people are murdered legally. It's just yeah, states ought not kill people at all. <laughs> yeah, and then the other interesting sort of element of this is the sort of is the torture half, which is mm-hmm. that, um, and this gets into like a sort of more complicated debate, but uh, lethal injection, which is the predominant method of capital punishment federally and in most states, is exceptionally torturous it frequently does not work despite looking like people just sort of go to sleep and die it's in fact quite unpleasant the cocktail of chemicals are frequently outdated poorly mixed they expire they can end up it can end up being like the worst way to die instead of the best way and for that reason even if you conclude that in like some sort of abstract philosophical sense the state ought have the right to you know, kill people. Um, there's still a very good moral argument that the death penalty as it exists now is so faulty and so incapable of relieving and receiving any sort of like reliable, consistent mechanism that we could still abolish it for what you might call like the reasons of moral pragmatism, which are like, even if in theory, the state ought to be able to kill people, we do not have a mechanism for doing it that is not torturous now. Ergo, we should abolish it. Yeah. And the Supreme Court has taken action over the years. And, you know, you could flip the script back on the Venegue when they ask you that, you know, like, shouldn't mass murderers be killed or executed? We've gotten rid of hangings. Hangings used to be a legitimate way to uh, create the death penalty. 
um, most states have outlawed the um, electric chair. The reason Utah does the firing squad is because the chemicals that you need to do lethal injection are sometimes hard to get. And the science isn't, isn't even proven that it's more humane because the first, they inject you with a lot of stuff. It's not just like one poison. The first thing they inject you with is actually a, uh, a paralyzing agent, which makes the entire body go numb so that it won't convulse and be super like horrible. So some don't even know that after you are uh, paralyzed, but can still feel pain in the brain, you just can't like show it off by screaming and everything, that it might be, as Nate said, the worst way to possibly die. And it's just, it's barbaric. It um, destroys any concept of dignity and decency. So both advantages are dealing with like an ethical priority here, whether that be along the racial discrimination lens or just the devaluation of life for any inmate, whether they be um, white, black, uh, male, female, whatever. So both, both have this ethical framing component, but it's important to go beyond just the defendant or just the execution. I mean, the entire system devalues life and everyone involved in the trial is impacted. And the fact that the state can legitimize its violence means the impact is more than just the 200 people on death row. The, looking at the plan text real quick, uh, we did say it was pretty simple at the beginning of the podcast. You know, it's like ban the death penalty, abolish the death penalty. Some people might use the phrase capital punishment instead of the death penalty. Some will specify their agent. This is definitely a court's AF, but sometimes people don't like to say Supreme Court in the plan text. Uh, you know, I, I think version two is, is pretty nice. If you... Uh, want to at least identify that you're ruling on something, right? And saying it's unconstitutional without specifying the grounds. But version three is the most accurate in which when the Supreme Court rules something is unconstitutional, they don't just like mark it there. They have an entire, you know, uh, papers really, page long RFDs, opinions that explain their constitutional justification for ruling it unconstitutional. And we call those the grounds or the justification for those decisions. And most would say that the best way the Supreme Court could say that the death penalty is, uh, should be abolished is to reference the Eighth Amendment prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment and the 14th Amendment clause on equal protection. And kind of both of those together represent this um, implied notion of dignity that you shouldn't torture, you shouldn't treat people unequally. And so I think. Whether or not you specify it in the plan text, any kind of cross X or explanation of the solvency mechanism would definitely be eighth and 14th amendment grounds to rule the death penalty unconstitutional. Moving into the sort of like 2AC mechanics of the affirmative, without going into everything in, in too much detail, I think one place that this app particularly shines pretty well is not just that it's got like a pretty clean, clear 1AC, but that it has pretty strong built-in answers to most of the negative generics on the topic. And I think that that's important. The only things that I really want to talk about are the elections DA, the state's counterplan, and federalism, because those seem to be like kind of standard issue arguments across the topic. Um, yeah, and just, and just to double down on that, any court staff, that actually is ruling that the, the states no longer have the option. So this isn't just ban the federal death penalty. 
uh, which Congress could do. This is the Supreme Court saying 29 states that have chosen to keep the death penalty in the books, not, not your call anymore. So it definitely links to federalism. The death penalty still is in the minds of most voters as an ideology, like they have an ideological reaction to the death penalty. It's one of those social issues like abortion or um, immigration. Uh, so the, you know, the election, some of the things that you're already familiar with, states, elections, federalism, do link. Particularly the debate about federalism and the death penalty is sort of fascinating. So there's actually really interesting stuff being said on both sides. And the link is very much, I think, open to debate. So one particularly vexing problem states have been having is that um, the Fed rarely intervenes to stop states that have the death penalty from executing people. What they do do periodically is intervene in abolition states to give the death penalty to local offenders. So examples of this are like high profile villains in states that have abolished the death penalty, like people that participate in mass shootings or people where there's a real public outcry for justice. If that is a state that has abolished the death penalty, it's not uncommon for federal prosecutors to subsume that case to pursue it in a capital context. And there's a selection of federalism authors that say that that procedure is actually better for, mm. for like local federalism because it acts as a safety valve for abolition states. So there's a concern that if states like California were forced to you know, like not satisfy the public demand for justice when it comes to serious offenders, that would actually produce so much backlash that they would have to bring the death penalty back. And so the capacity for states to, to individually ban the death penalty is, according to some people, sustained by the Fed's ability to subsume responsibility for executing the worst of the worst in a few niche contexts. The inverse of this is also true that the sort of Fed's ability to take over capital cases that the states have chosen not to prosecute in that context is a huge problem for their individual discretion when it comes to sentencing. Because if they choose to abolish the death penalty, the Fed can always take those cases over and give capital punishment to those people, which is like the, I think, the crux of all of the affirmative's best offense against the state's counterplan. Mm -hmm. And so really the debate is not just about whether or not the Fed preempt, ostensibly preempting state abolition is good or bad for federalism, but that's also the backbone of the debate about the state's counterplan, which is were the states to abolish the death penalty, should we expect the Fed to continue preempting abolition states by taking high-profile cases to the federal level and then prescribing capital sentences for them? Yeah, this just to be super clear about it, that's why that inherency card is also so valuable back to the 1AC is even if you fee out all the states ban the death penalty, the federal government can say, we are going to take this case and try it at the federal level. They can just suck it up and again, because of the attorney generals in this administration, because the president, because like there's a chance that the federal government just starts grabbing up all the people who are charged with murder and then executing them at the federal level. And that's something that the state's counterplan can't possibly solve. And yeah. an interesting part of this is that historically that process has been a tiny percentage of the total number of executions. So 
that of the number of, there are currently about 3,500 people on death row in the United States. The number of them that are there because of federal prosecutors, six. Mm. Six people, which is perhaps the greatest 2NR sufficiency tirade <laughs> that debate has ever provided the negative with. The interesting thing about that, though, is that because of the sort of return of the death penalty on the federal level, a lot of the really good AF evidence on this question says that that process is going to increase really dramatically over the next few years. So there's actually like a particularly interesting uniqueness element to the main solvency deficit to the state's counterplan that the affirmative has that makes debates that maybe look sort of simple and one-sided at the outset actually really, really deep. Yeah. And in the background there, that's why the, you know, the advantages are so totalizing in their ethical demands is because sufficiency framing is not uh, something that solves for you know, racism or dignity. The same way like a pick, you're like, well, we'll still give executions to these people that like, this is our point. If we're going to be uh, principled in our moral rejection, we can have no compromise. One of the common arguments against other court staffs, maybe the way you've uh, handled the federal evidence affirmative is to read the court politics argument. Uh, other versions of this might be called court clog or court legitimacy. There's a lot of different like political considerations when the Supreme Court rules in a pretty dramatic way. But the the one I see, and this is this is a would be a whole other podcast to describe uh, constitutional law surrounding the death penalty currently. But you can read some of the cards in the file and. The way the Supreme Court has handled the death penalty now is so haphazard and complicated and requires the courts to rule on basically every state's method, uh, not only execution method, but the trial method as well. You know, does the state have an automatic appeal? Is there a bifurcated trial? And it is so kind of complicated and gooey and changes that actually legitimacy in court capital uh, is being destroyed by the silliness or like the, the overcomplicated nature of death penalty law. And so the simplicity of just banning the death penalty actually frees the court up to um, not have to worry about that. So the link turn for court clog and court legitimacy are pretty good. What else is in the death penalty, Nig, that's, that's kind of fun and creative? Because I, I will say the common neg arguments that you've probably had uh, on the death penalty just at home or with uh, your friends or maybe in an ethics class or an English class, you know, the death penalty is something that probably everyone has a, an opinion on. Uh, and one of the common arguments would be, you know, like, is life without parole cheaper or better? Uh, what about crime and deterrence? Right? That's like, so yeah. um, a lot of those case trends are there as well. But I wonder if you can break down some of the, the cool off-case arguments that we came up with that yeah. uh, so stimulate your debates. The sort of counterplan section of the file is composed of really two things. So the first is, and which we've already talked about, is like a pretty extensive set of arguments for the state's counterplan um, about like follow-on and sort of trying to parse the neg side of that preemption debate. There's also a counterplan um, to reform the death penalty written by this kind of interesting guy named Robert Blecker, who is one of the only two Harvard Law graduates mm. to have a very public pro-death penalty stance. 
he's like one of the foremost and one of very few pro death penalty officials and he has like a giant 10 point plan for using the death penalty for what he calls red collar criminals which are like serial killers mass murderers and he's just sort of staunchly of the opinion that those people should be killed and so the, I think this kind of plan is particularly interesting because it forces both sides to engage the like moral dimension of the death penalty very explicitly because it is really about the like, it, the thing about the affect questions is the sort of absolutist nature of the moral systems that it describes. And it comes with a, a whole bunch of discrimination reforms. It actually, funny enough, brings back the firing squad as the most humane way of killing people. And it does a whole bunch of other things with the, you know, including uh, ascribing criminal penalties to prosecutors and police that unfairly push for capital punishment in cases. And I think that's a particularly interesting place for the negative to go because it really puts the onus on the affirmative to explain the moral problem with the death penalty and not the logistical one with things like it being sort of clumsy or not working very well or there being false convictions um and i think that's that's an interesting place for the negative to go yeah because if the affirmative retreats to just or explains the f as the death penalty is bad because people who don't deserve it are dying or people who are innocent are being convicted or it's applied um disproportionately like if that's the harm of the death penalty the reform kind of plan solves all of it and so instead, the affirmative has to say, it's not just that um, Black defendants are given the death penalty more often, or it's not just that some people have been executed that were later found innocent and exonerated. It's that the death penalty, even when it's done appropriately, even when it's done with all the fail-safes and the checks, it's still unethical. If the AF can defend that position, uh, they're, uh, they'll be okay on that counterplan. But that, that counterplan is definitely something that should be in the one and C. Um, and then, and then there are these different picks or these different kind of uh, ways to flip the script on the death penalty. And what is kind of cool is I think at different tournaments throughout the year, the net benefit will change, um, but the the strategic formula will be the same. Which is, wait, let's ban the death penalty except for um, insert some crime that you think is particularly heinous. And sometimes that will be things that are um, kind of on a critical lens. So it's like you could say, keep the death penalty for uh, rapists or keep the death penalty for um, uh, white terrorists or something like that, KKK members. And then it, like the app has to suddenly defend letting these horrible people stay, you know, life in prison. So the version that we've released is a little bit more tame than that. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we expand the death penalty to cover white collar crimes um, and corrupt public officials. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that the evidence that it would work is actually quite good. Um, yeah, and, and, and just shout out, again, this is not some contrived counterplan, even though it seems a little outrageous. There's a solvency advocate for this. Nate found an article that you know more or less is titled if we're going to use the death penalty, we should use it on financial criminals. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so the, it is a should stuff. But, you know, it's, it's wild. And the, the best part is that I think the affirmative answers to the death penalty deters crime are really, really good because 
the truth is that deterrence theory and crime don't go very well together because oftentimes crimes are done out of like economic necessity. You know, it's like people, you know, like committing armed robberies because they don't have any money to feed their families or it's, you know, just like some host of other extraneous factors. Um, but the cards about white collar criminals specifically explicitly parse that distinction and are like, while that might be true, these are people that are overwhelmingly wealthy and have like economically rational utility maximizing educations. And for that reason, they're way more likely to weigh the pros and cons for things in a very sort of explicitly theoretical mm. cost benefit perspective, which means that even if the death penalty does not deter crimes for necessity, it would deter Wall Street bankers very explicitly because they're used to weighing the like long-term pros and cons of their actions and they do everything sort of without, and there's no necessity to any of it. We're not going to get into it in this podcast, but uh, K links and some of the different critical modules for the abolition K are, are pretty strong. The link turns are just as strong. So again, robust debate to be had there. But I'm curious, uh, Nate, what's your, what's your one and C? It's the state's counter plan of the elections DA. Mm-hmm. It's, T enact means you have to be Congress. Oh yeah, nice. Um, and then the uh, T enact means you have to be Congress. Then the white collar crimes yeah. DA, and I would read uh, and then the movements DA. Um, mm. And the reason why I say the movements DA is I think it's slightly less of it has less perf con problems than the abolition K. Um, but if I was not reading the white collar crimes DA, um, I would go for the abolition critique against this affirmative. I think the negative link evidence is astounding. There is a movements DA link card that is actually like I had to clean my jaw off the floor when I found it. I think some of the evidence written by like pro death penalty abolition people that abolition might make it harder to fix the rest of the criminal justice system is actually remarkably good and comes with like built-in impact comparison about how the other parts of it are worse like truly i think that's a that's a winning position if nothing else and so um that would be that would probably be my one and see and then i'd probably go for the crime da because i think it's funny and you know like who doesn't want to give bankers capital punishment yeah if if nate got to give his best card in the file the one that made nate's jaw drop uh but I'll give the best card, kind of sum this up a little bit, the best card or two in the app that made my uh, jaw drop because it really is going to be essential in, I think, weighing the app and possibly using the solvency mechanism of the app. So this is going back to the affirmative. Again, it's a courts app. So in addition to having a defense of banning the death penalty, right? Death penalty is bad. The F does have a defense of using the courts as a mechanism to abolish the death penalty. And that goes beyond just the, you know, like it would get the states to ban it as well because it'd be unconstitutional. If you look in the solvency contention, there's one card that I think you should read really closely. It's the Barry 17 card. Kevin Barry's a, a professor of law. Most of the evidence, by the way, in the F and Nag are like legal professors and uh, people writing law reviews. Um, but this, this, uh, this card speaks to the, the way the court would rule and how it would set a precedent for additional 
reforms that would honor dignity. So this is saying that when the court rules and strikes down the death penalty, they do it with a particular justification. They would say that um, dignity matters. Cruel and unusual punishment is never allowed and punishment should be honor the guidelines of equal protection. Now, that the app only rules on the death penalty, but what uh, Professor Barry is referencing is that precedent, that justification, that logic of honoring dignity would actually strengthen the concept at a doctrine level, doctrinal level, to expand the notion of liberty and equal protection and anti-discrimination to the entire criminal justice system. And so the spillover or result of the app is actually getting rid of things like um, solitary confinement, maybe life without parole, mass incarceration, um, other kind of racial disparities in sentencing laws like the crack cocaine distinction that many people have brought up. So the app actually has a really cool, and the, the evidence is grade A in terms of here's what the plan does, here's the, the result of it, and here's an impact to that. Um, will spill over to expand the concept of dignity, not just to death row inmates, but to everyone from um, kids at detention centers to um, LGBT rights to just, like I said, the entire criminal justice system. Um, and so you got to use that as a impact multiplier or as a consequence uh, that you get from ruling on at the Supreme Court level on the death penalty. Congress counterplan wouldn't solve that. States wouldn't solve that. Um, or wouldn't solve it as well. And it's something that, depending on what the NAG is going for in the 2NR, may be a really unique piece of offense to consider. Um, there's some add-ons in the file that are still just like moral de-rule cards, like, hey, if the US banned the death penalty, other countries would model, so our impact goes beyond the United States. Um, and of course, there's some other fun things on the negative that you can put on case as well. So a lot of plug and play options, a uh, lot of good evidence to read and highlight to see the inter interactions with. Fi any final thoughts, uh, Nate, on, on this, uh, this file or? Um, the only sort of closing sentiment that I have that wasn't, you know, sort of subsumed by what you just said about the sort of topical, you know, relevance of the controversy is that um, I would read the file carefully. Like, I think there's room for pretty sophisticated debates. And I think especially at camp and during these practice rounds and then during the season, but like, you know, earlier, especially as people are all getting their feet wet, people will be rewarded for, you know, like detail and depth of knowledge on a subject. And like, you know, like even just in an hour, we've covered a lot of stuff. Like there's clearly a lot of things going on with the death penalty and capital punishment and how it's distributed between branches of government and the Fed and the states and everything. And I would, you know, I would be meticulous about how you're reading and thinking about those things because it does sort of seem like for both sides, the winning arguments are not at the sort of surface level. They're down a couple of steps in, you know, kind of in the minutia. Yeah. And just on the skill side of that, or like the, your actual debating, the evidence I found the one the one frustration as I was putting together the one I see in compiling the labby's cards is most cards made impact arguments, solvency arguments, answer to arguments all in the same card. And it's like, well, is this going to be insolvency? Do I put it in the advantage? Do I keep this for the two AC? Um, so hint, hint, 
most of your cards say more than just the tag. And I could see you cross applying the Barry evidence or the Bessler evidence or, you know, to multiple sheets of paper. And it wouldn't, you, you just got to be uh, really cognizant of what's in that because, and this is true for the NIG too. Most people writing that about the death penalty have thought about it um, at a very in-depth level. And when they're writing about it, they aren't um, so narrowly focused on one issue. They are bringing all of their thoughts to the table and we cut those thoughts as cards. So thank you for listening. We have not come up with a title um, for our podcast uh, series. So please submit those um, to, to us and we will, um, we will do our best to come up with another one. Thanks for listening. Thank you.